Vibrations Podcast, Part 36, Gary Brightman. Hi, I'm Gary Brightman, and this is my bi-weekly podcast called Vibrations. Established in 2018, Vibe is a book and music shop situated in Moiwo on Lantau Island in Hong Kong. So, what's been happening at the shop recently? Both December and February for Chinese New Year are usually Vibe's best months and allow us to keep going in more fallow times. And thank God, this December was no exception. Although quite a few expats relocated back home from Lantau and Hong Kong, the void seems to have been taken up by locals and expats both moving here and coming for staycations. Yay! On Saturday the 4th of December, we had our second Vibe Junk Trip of the year. Many thanks to Rex and Sarah of Flotudio for supplying their lovely junk from Cheng Chow and providing a fabulous service as always. We love what you guys do. Their website link appears on this podcast and I well recommend them. The weather was warm and 25 people were afforded a great day out as usual, down to the Soko Island of Dio Chow. Someone, who shall remain nameless, dropped their phone into the South China Sea and by good fortune the mobile was recovered by local divers. What are the chances of that? Unfortunately, the mobile wasn't quite so lucky and refused to work after 48 hours of drying out on a bed of rice. We had a double event at the shop on Saturday the 11th of December, firstly with Les Bird giving an excellent and engaging talk on his new book about the Vietnamese boat people called Along the Southern Boundary. The book covers a frontline account of the Vietnamese boat people and their arrivals in Hong Kong during the late 1970s right up to 1997. And you can still watch it on our Facebook page and I'll add it to our YouTube channel Live at Vibe HK. Secondly that day, Rain Bukoy, a 16-year-old singer-songwriter, played her own songs and Christmas standards at Vibe. Rain self-taught the guitar, ukulele and piano and has an amazing voice. She is a brilliant talent and should go far. We'll definitely have her back at Vibe for future gigs. As well as local authors and artisans, we like to promote local musicians and singers at Vibe. So if you fancy performing a tiny desk gig at the shop one Saturday or know someone who may do, then please contact me directly. On Saturday the 15th of January we have Chris Maiden giving a book talk and signing at Vibe from 2pm. His book, Price is Price, charts the fictitious life of Stanley Price who dreamt since childhood of exploring the world but hasn't the means to do so. After an inglorious attempt at marrying into money, Stanley joins the army with dreams of exotic postings, dispatched instead to Hong Kong. Stanley is swept along by the city's raw and invigorating energy and its women. We also hope to have Steve Bernstein playing at the shop in February. More on that to come. And so, to this week's interview. So Gary, welcome to the other side of the microphone. So a long-standing tradition with uh, Vibe Podcasts is the 10 warm-up questions. Who or what is your favourite book or author? Favourite book or author? I don't really have a favourite book. Generally, I like to move on, and from whatever time in my life I'm at, will dictate what type of genre I'm reading. Okay. So, And that has changed, I know, from being a 
14-year-old to a 40-year-old to a 60-year-old. Some of the the writers that have impressed me the most that still haunt me would be um, J.G. Ballard. I used to read J.G. Ballard's books Mm -hmm. back when I was sort of on the underground in my 20s, which would have been the 1980s, going to work. Mm -hmm. And I found that his style of writing, you know, he wrote Empire of the Sun. But he also wrote books which were sort of mind twisters a little bit almost and now I'm going to sort of go on to the second author because he would write novels that I would say were a little bit reminding me of Tales of the Unexpected and Roald Dahl's um, writing so in the 70s the 1970s with my mum I used to love to watch Tales Tales of the Unexpected but what that meant is I'd never really read Roald Dahl lots of nieces and nephews Lots of kids' books around, so BFG and all, and all the Roald Dahl, the Matilda stories and all those, the Chocolate Factories, yes, I'd read those, but none of the more grown-up books of Roald Dahl. Mm. And I've only just started reading those since I've been in this shop. That would be my two answers, I would say. J.G. Ballard and Roald Dahl. And Roald Dahl. So what about your favourite musical artist? Who would that be? Now I'm going to quote Zhao uh, Mei that works here on a Sunday. So... <laughs> I often found when I was interviewing people that I would ask them their favourite author or their favourite musician and they would come back with three, four, five answers. And particularly the females would be the worst at that, the less disciplined. The guys would be a bit more, well, it's David Bowie or it's, you know, it's Tina Turner or whatever. The, the, the women would drift off into a long list. And so I said to her... Why, why do you have to do that? Why don't you? I just asked you for one. Just give me one. Mm. And she said that. Um, she said that. Well, you know, we're not kids anymore. When you're a kid, you choose. If somebody asks you your favourite colour, you know straight away it's blue or it's red, or, <clears throat> or whatever. As you get older, you know you've got more experience and you you see more things. And there is no single answer to questions anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so with that, I'm going to choose a number of artists. (laughs) So I'm going to use that, actually, uh, which is a good answer, I thought, from her. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, going to the 1970s, David Bowie is the answer to this question for the most of the 35 people I've interviewed most have said David Bowie, interestingly. He was spectacular, yeah. He was a genius. The late 70s, I was a teenager, punk music came along, The Clash came along, and still for me, probably, if pushed, I would say they were the best live band ever. Okay. And the best four-piece guitar band. What about your preferred drink? We all like a tipple every now and again. What would be yours? Yeah, interesting, because again, I always started asking this question and for some reason I was programmed to think that everybody would come back with an alcoholic drink. Mm. But then as you interviewed the locals, alcohol isn't a big thing for them. Um, The most given answer over the last years has been water. And in fact, when I look at what I, what do I drink most of, mm. it's water. Yeah. But of course, people want something a bit more fruity than that. <laughs> I'm not that adventurous, but what I do love is red wine. I, okay. I love red wine. I love a good red wine. And my French wife taught me that French wine is the best and never drink anything else. <laughs> of course, it's my wife, so I don't listen to you that answer. <laughs> but, however... Or you salute and say yes, dear. <laughs> I salute and say yes. Uh, but still, I think she has a big, strong point there. Yeah. 
I suppose other than that, I'd say gin. Uh, I'm a big gin lover. Yeah. I remember listening to one of the podcasts a while ago, and the interviewee said water yes. and to, to that answer. And you paused. I think you were quite shocked. <laughs> well, I was, probably was, yeah. Do you have a life motto? Yeah, and, and again, it's probably the most popular one answered to me over the last year. And, and that is, you know, treat others as you would wish to be treated yourself. Because we are all born uh, as equals. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just that, you know, society and time and education and luck and privilege and money mm. then shape the rest of our lives. Yeah. But we're basically all born uh, as equals. Uh, next one. What is your favourite walk in Hong Kong? OK, that's an easy one for me. Although over the last, you know, I've been here now 12 years and that favourite walk has changed so many times because you get into grooves don't you and yeah. you get into feel good things i look forward to sundays and a walk around chi ma Wan. it's not the whole big chi ma Wan peninsula which mm -hmm. is a, which is about 18 kilometers i would call it the coastal walk okay um so basically walking from the reservoir up and you're overlooking at various times the frog and toad the sea ranch mm -hmm. then you're looking over uh, cheng chow then you're looking over hailing chow mm. you're doing that full circuit round yeah. it, it takes about two and a half hours to three hours it's a good old walk it's a good old walk yeah. and i absolutely love it hong kong is blessed with loads and loads of restaurants providing good food what is your favorite hong kong restaurant to the china beach club yes so run yes. by you know julie and rachel yep. the finest fare for me in all of hong kong there and the best views over the Silvermine Bay and the, and the yeah. sea and some of the best memories as yeah. well. They've got such a great and varied menu. I'm a bit of a one-trick pony. Mm. I'll always go for the fish there. <laughs> <laughs> so now you are wandering up to, to, up to the top of the peak and you come across a python. Yeah. What do you do? Okay, so I'm going to answer, again, the most popular answer. Basically, most people are scared of snakes even yeah. though we live on Lantau Island which is rich with snakes yes. and nobody that lives here hasn't seen a snake I, I would say that I would do the Hong Kong thing I would take a picture of it maybe a video actually but uh, then I would retreat quickly yeah. because I, I'm a coward when it comes to yeah me too snakes. me too I yeah. do not like them at all no yeah so what was the um, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given it's from my parents they brought me up to respect everybody as individuals as equals and they also brought me up not to be uh to to have any form of racism mm. i was lucky actually I, I was brought up in a time where racism there was there but then very quickly got sorted out and fixed and was no longer necessarily an issue mm -hmm. i think we've gone backwards now to I a agree. certain extent i agree so yeah the, the the best thing that i was ever taught was Everybody is the same. Doesn't matter whether they're the helper, mm -hmm. the road sweeper, or they're you know the owners of the Mandarin yeah. Island, yeah. or, or Lee Kaohsiung, whoever. That what I see is is a human being. Yeah, not a status. Exactly. And I think most human, well, I think all human beings actually basically have the same values, don't they? They want yes. a good health for their family, for their loved ones, um, take care of their kids. Yeah. Every it doesn't matter where they come from. Yeah. Everybody has that. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I think mm. that is probably ninety-five percent of humanity fits that that yeah. mold. Yeah. 
the obvious 5% are the ones that make the most noise and that are in the media the most and, and, and the ones that are causing the trouble, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sadly. Yeah, yeah. so what, what would be your favourite area in Hong Kong? Okay, so I would say, again, I, I'm allowed, allowing myself two choices here because <laughs> <laughs> other people have done in the past. Focus and discipline. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. No focus, no discipline, that's me. <laughs> so... I would say, you know, right from the first time I came to Hong Kong, I was captivated by Sham Shui Po. Okay. Sham Shui Po is the centre of electronics, of of films and music and um, everything that I love, actually. But it's also a very earthy centre of Hong Kong. Yes. It's full of street markets and food and vibrancy. Right and the golden shopping center uh, which everybody knows and of course why wouldn't it be lantau lantau island <laughs> lantau yes. island and yeah. specifically moiwo that being the right side of lantau island yeah exactly yeah. gary finish this sentence i live in hong kong because most people say to me because it's my home mm-hmm. and and actually ultimately that is my answer it's because it's my home we can go into why it's my home later perhaps but um, I live in Hong Kong because I chose to Mm. I wanted to live here and when I started to live here I wasn't disappointed that day was 12 years ago and I've never wanted to live anywhere else since what brought you to Hong Kong initially initially I came on a holiday in 1986 with another couple Mm-hmm. We were on one of these three centre holidays, which were big in those days. Mm-hmm. And we had three or four days in Hong Kong. And the other couple, they had uh, a brother-in-law that lived here in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So that brother-in-law for three or four days took us all over. We saw more of Hong Kong in four days than you would do in a, in a month normally. Yeah. So we did all the obvious things. But actually in those days, Tiger Balm Gardens was open. And we okay. went there and absolutely fell in love with that place. Yeah. The exoticness of Hong Kong versus where I'd always lived was so stark and so brilliant um, Mm. and so fascinating that after that time, I literally did fall in love with Hong Kong and Mm. I spent the rest of my life trying to get here. Okay. Where were you living at the time? So I was living in London. Mm. You know, I lived in London for 35, 36 years, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm And I would consider it to be home, and I still consider it to be. I could drop back into London tomorrow, right. and all my friends are still there, and it would still be, it would become home again. Right. However, I see it that I lived half of my life in the West, and I want to live the, the other half of my life, if it is a half, in the East. Mm. Um, I want to learn about Eastern civilizations. I wanted to travel around this region. Yeah. Okay, COVID's. You know, Put the mockers on that on a bit that now. While, yes. <laughs> so after that, you know, my brother um, moved here in '92, okay, randomly, and and he lived here then for about another 18 years. Yeah, and I would come here pretty much every, at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. Okay, on you know, on on the premise of seeing my brother, but actually it was for me to get me a fix. Right. Yeah. Um, so those were all social trips, were they? Yeah, a number of them were choices. Um, so for instance, I came here for, for my brother's wedding uh, with his twin sister. 
uh, and Steph, my wife, we came over for three days and three nights, actually, while my brother got married in, in Kennedy Town. So it's a pretty good wedding. It's a pretty good <laughs> wedding. It was a brilliant wedding. Mm. And, and three days, you know, we never slept for that time. That was back in the early 1990s. Right. So that would be one occasion. But then I used to engineer as much as I could. I'd work for international banks. I right. was an IT guy in international banks. And I would gravitate to any Asian project I could, and I would push myself out to be right. Oh, that's the Hong Kong office, is it? Oh, I'll, I'll go over there then, and I'll sort that one out. <laughs> so I did get, and 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 latterly, I was a global manager for about ten or twelve years. Right. And I would always have an annual trip um, to Hong Kong and Singapore, and right. so um, okay. so a lot of them were finance, and it felt a bit better then, you know, because you could stay in a five-star hotel, yeah. travel business, yeah. and um, you know I could get my brother to come home and see me in the hotel, which yeah. we did. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, purely holidays. You know, I would come here twice a year with, okay. you know. So, so when did you start living here permanently? You know, we we tried to live here permanently, me and Steph, from about the year of. 2000 I would say and year on year I would come here and I would apply for jobs and I would try and get interviews in and nobody was taking me seriously I couldn't find work and I think that was purely because my home address was London mm. and they didn't necessarily want to pay an expat package to get me over here mm. and so nobody really took me that seriously until in, in 2008, Steph said to me, you know, why don't we just go there? Why don't we just pack our bags and move to Hong Kong mm. and see if it works? Mm. Um, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, that was amazingly empowering. It was something I, I was never going to get to that answer. I don't mm. know why. And in 2009, we moved to Hong Kong. And so you moved without a job? Moved without a job. And, and, and at that time, we'd both managed to get some redundancies. So we'd got a good probably year or more's pay. Mm. Uh, from our banks mm. uh, with bonuses so we decided let's just move to Hong Kong live with my brother in Lap Tay Tong mm-hmm. um, on Lantau Island mm-hmm. and then just go travelling okay. uh, which we did we we travelled around China we travelled around Australia we travelled to um, Vietnam and Thailand oh nice one had a brilliant time and yeah. then sadly it was only six months before each of us got a job and was that back into banking and finance? It was. Um, for Steph, it was at J.P. Morgan in Sha Tin, mm-hmm. and for me, it was Nomura Bank. So how long, how long were you with Nomura? So I was with them for... I joined in 20, 2010. Again, I took a good payoff um, mm-hmm. to stay here. And, yeah, with that money, then I went to film school. Ah, OK. Tell, tell me about film school. What, did, what, what was all that about? She knew I started to get fed up with, with work. I, I'd worked a lot longer than her. I'd worked since I was 17 years old right. in banking and for 38 years. So okay. a long time. My passion was always film and photography. So okay. I spent my life doing cinematography, being a photographer um, as an amateur, you know. Mm. And um, I, I really fancied, you know, going through the process yeah. more permanently. So I started, I believe it or not, I started writing scripts, comedy scripts. Okay. Went to a script club. Mm. Not a strip club. <laughs> Got to be careful with that. Clarified that. I went to a script club. Yes. I went to a script, script club. Script with a T at you the end. You dirty minds, you <laughs> listeners. Script club, I said. Yes. I went to a script club and I basically learned how to write uh, scripts. Okay. And But then I got hired uh, to write a film. 
nice. okay. uh, for a, a production company. Okay. A local production company wanted me to write a film set in Hong Kong and China, a children's film. And at that point, I panicked because I thought, I've never written a film before. I knew a 90-minute film is a 90-page script. Mm -hmm. And I was learning about stru structure, but I didn't know about the whole process. And again, Steph said to me, well, why don't you go to film school? Mm. Um, film school will give you all you need. It'll teach you how to be a director, a screenwriter, uh, a sound engineer, a, a, a film editor, right. um, a cast manager. And it did. It really did. In a year, okay. I absolutely loved that course. I was the oldest person on that course by three times. So, <laughs> so I was 54 years old on that course, yeah. and everybody else was 18 years old. So they literally <laughs> were a third of my age. Yeah, yeah. And I absolutely loved it and graduated and, and, and started to make films. Okay. And so you completed the script, did you? I did. I wrote the script, um, and, it, and it was overseen by a guy who actually, believe it or not, was a Hollywood writer. Um, okay. So the guy that hired me was then, as I wrote the scripts, um, various drafts, they would go out to Hollywood, they would um, proof it and mm -hmm. come back with no praise whatsoever. They would come back with 20 pages of why that script I'd just written was a piece of <laughs> shit. <Yeah. laughs> okay. um, and you, I would find that very just, disconcerting. Yeah. I, I would think, <clears throat> F you. Um, I'm. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. If 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 I'm. You've hired me to do something, and then all you can do is criticise me in that fashion. Then I'm not interested. Out of here. Yep. So I I would mm -hmm. always go through this process of two weeks of feeling like that, mm. and then after that I would swallow my pride after two weeks, and I would say, oh, okay, let me just go through now what they're saying to me, yeah. and I did, and I would write another draft, and I would send that off again, and I'd yeah. think, yeah, this time I've cracked it. Um, and it would come back with a wall of negativity. Right. And I would say to them, "Why are you do? You're not. You're not motivating me." And they said, "You know, do you want to learn how to do this or not?" Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it was a process for two years that went on like that, where I would resubmit a draft. I would get back a wall of negativity until finally, I had something fashioned that that they were uh, they found acceptable oh, great, and they it? paid me for. Yeah, brilliant. They haven't made that film yet, but loosely the premise is it's based on the story of the Pied Piper. Okay. Only my Pied Piper mm. is a female Zhao flute player mm. in the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. Okay. And um, basically, she goes on a train ride to, on a tour of, okay. of China. Right. The train has an accident. She finds herself in a village right. and ends up ridding the village of rats. Oh. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the story of the Fine Piper, but from a modern-day take yeah, and from exactly. a female perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's disheartening getting those comments back. But, you know, as they, uh, as they say, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it. You know, I... I studied for a year, a good year, maybe 18 months, mm. uh, screenwriting. So I would read all of the classic um, books on screenwriting and on structure. I'm an um. IT person, so I'm very much looking for structure and an organised answer. And I felt that I had all the tools mm. that, that I needed to be able to do that job. I have quite a big imagination, I would say. I mean, those that know me would 
say I'm perhaps a bit weird, but I, I do overly imagine things. And so I never find it hard to sit there with yeah. a blank page and fill it with all sorts of, uh, I was going to say shit, but maybe I, th- I shouldn't <laughs> say shit. <laughs> but out of those comments that came back, you must have learned a heck of a lot. I did very much. I mean, they to start with, I thought all the comments were actually coming back from this film director guy that had hired me. Mm. And then eventually he <clears throat> let let it known that it was a guy who was a screenwriter in Hollywood. Mm. And then I, my respect went up for, for what was coming back at me because yeah. I started to think it was personal. Yeah, yeah. Clearly it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so I did understand a lot about structure. I mean, it's enough to have a structure, and believe it or not, 90% of the films that are made follow a structure. They have what they call a hero's journey. Right. They, we all know that a film has a three-act structure, but within that, there is a heartbeat of every, roughly every sort of three to five minutes where something happens, mm. and that it can be mapped out, and you can map any film onto this structure. Okay. Yeah. There are very few films that won't map onto this scru- structure. Right, right. Um, and I learnt that, and, mm. and that was a good lesson. When you're trying to write, um, you're forever honing what you're writing. Yeah. So you're trying to pare it down to say more, but by saying less, Yeah. if you see what I mean, and so that the person's yeah. um, imagination takes them to this yeah. place. If you're writing a book, you have 250 pages to describe something in detail. If you're writing a film, you have really just dialogue to describe what's happening. And you can't have what they call on-the-nose dialogue. So that's Mm. where I say to you, look, there's a big gorilla coming, it's about to eat us, and when it's eaten us, we'll both be dead. Mm. That's what they would call on-the-nose dialogue. That's telling the viewer what exactly is going to happen. The way to do it is to show the gorilla coming down on us and the chomp, (laughs) head disappears. (laughs) So it's learning to do that, and that's what it taught me. Yeah, Yeah. okay, good. When was that project finished? Yeah, that, that was finished in 2014. So I kind of started the script writing thing while I was still at Nomura. Yeah. And by 2014, I then went to film school. Okay. And when I went to film school, I'd more or less finished writing this script after two okay. years. Yeah. I then did one year at film school where I graduated. Then I set up a production company. So mm-hmm. okay. at yeah. film school, I learned that I enjoyed writing films with scripts and casting people and actors and actresses but actually the process of doing that I found um, not particularly to my taste Mm, it was too engineered and I know this is Hollywood and and this is Chinawood for me we one of the projects was to 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 make our own documentary Mm. And in making that documentary, mine I made on Graham Street Market in Central, and it was about the demise of Graham Street Market. Mm. And I started to... You you have to have a a reason for going to talk to people for a documentary. But the documentary, again, it's a three-act structure, but it will be built, basically, on what people are telling you, not what you're telling them. Right. So you'll go there and say, you know, why are you... how do you feel about the you know being put out of business because the the market is being closed down by the government yeah. and they're going to build a big tower block? And you would go there with uh, a pre-determined answer in your head that they would be massively annoyed at that and angry at the government, yeah. and you would 
be able to write the script to their answer. Yeah. But then when they answer those questions, that they've been there 60 years, or that, 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 and that actually it was not a bad thing after all, or, you know, and their, their children didn't want that business or whatever, you actually then had to restructure your story mm. back to yeah. the people that you're interviewing. Yeah. And I like that process of that element of surprise, just as I like interviewing, actually, that... Mm. When two people sit down, you don't necessarily know where the conversation is going to take you. Exactly. Yeah. And similarly with a documentary, you sit down and you don't know where the the documentary is going to take go. You. Yeah. 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 Whereas a film, you're acting out the the script. It's pre-programmed. It's yeah, pre-programmed. Sure. You yeah. have to do that. Yeah. So. Okay. So yeah, documentaries became my thing. Okay. So that brings us forward to probably around 2018 when you started with Vibe, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, so what were some yeah. of the highlights of, uh, yeah. you look back now on three years of Vibe, what's some of the highlights that you've come across and remember? Yeah, okay, so that's interesting. I mean, when I, first of all, I didn't expect to own a book and music shop, but if, if you asked the 17-year-old me, what would you most like to do? Mm. I spent most of my time in books and music shops and that was ob the obvious thing in front of me that yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah. But I realised that I would never become wealthy doing that and I'd never probably be able to pay the rent doing that. <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> so when I got a chance to do it in 2018, uh, again, it was my wife that allowed this to happen. Mm. I went home to her one night. I said, look, I know the guy, Terry, at the bookshop. She knows I knew. Yeah. Terry ran an antiquarian bookshop here. Mm. He said to me, right, I'm off to France. Um, and I went home and told her. And she said, why don't you take it on, Gary? It's perfect yeah. for you. You can yeah. still make your films, your documentaries. You can do it from the shop. You can edit films um, here. Yeah. And you love books and music and film, and what yeah. better place for you? Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, yeah, this isn't going to make us money, you know. <laughs> so you are going to have to make us the money. <laughs> yeah. And so, and she's she's happy. She's yeah. still happy enough in the corporate world to okay. be carrying on doing it. Good. And she's yeah. she's five years younger than me, and so yeah. um, she's got a little bit further to go anyway, perhaps. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how I found myself here. And then from then, I really didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. I thought probably like most people out on the streets, how hard is it to run a book and music shop? You just sit there, you read books all day, you listen to whatever <laughs> records you like, and you've got a blessed life. Yeah. Um, and that's what I thought. And, and, and actually, I was quite surprised when I started here. Very, very quickly, people from outside came to me and said, like I've just written a book, can I um, do a talk on my book? Can I sign books? Can I sell it in your shop? Mm, mm. Um, and to start with, I thought, mm, I don't know what to say to that. You know, should I say yes? And I didn't want to say no. And at mm. that point in time, I made a rule up that I would never say no to any requests mm. of people asking me something that a bookshop, music shop could do as a favour for them. Yeah, I loved music, and so... Uh, also, I wanted to have bands here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, okay. I, I thought, I, I quite fancy having some small little, you know, uh, they call them tiny desk gigs here. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it was more a question of the, the local community telling me how they wanted me to run the bookshop. Yeah. Yeah. And sure enough, within a year, I had 30 concessions of books and music. Right. In two years, I had 60 concessions of books and music. Yeah. And now I'm trying to pare it back because it's actually... Uh, is a source of a lot of admin work. Right, sure. So, 
Yeah, uh, so the highlights of that, I think, are then the people that have come and had events here. People um, like Sally Bunker, for instance, who yeah. came and told us how she learned how to um, uh, become a botanical painter right and and join the royal botanical society yeah, yeah people like les bird who uh told us how the marines were back in the 70s yeah. and the 80s and 90s yeah um people like paul french actually was was an early one a mm. few through a mutual friend paul french came and popped up in the days you could still travel mm. and he wrote a, a, for me a very haunting book called midnight in peking Yes. And I think he's an excellent writer and he yeah. could quite easily have been on my favourite um, uh, authors. Yeah. Um, so I love the way he writes and he came and did a great talk here. He came back the following year. He stayed with me for, for or stayed with us for, for a week. Mm. So we had some good quality time with him. Mm. Um, he's even dedicated, I think, one of his books to us. Okay. Um, so people like that that just popped up yeah. um, and then the bands you know we we've had some good bands here yeah, over sure. that time yeah um, the mutineers have been here twice to yeah. celebrate the anniversaries yeah. here yeah. uh they do their own brand of sort of celtic folk rock yeah yeah okay. um yeah, yeah. And, and we've had recently the Funkophones yeah. here yeah very professional great sounding great. outfit they yeah. rocked the place didn't they yeah so what's uh, one one incident that stands out in your mind that you really that's the the, the biggie the big highlight uh one incident okay okay so i i think probably the one that stands out straight away would be two christmases ago we had uh an impromptu christmas party here mm -hmm. And there's a good friend, Carmen Casa, that lives here in Moiwo. Mm -hmm. And I said to Carmen, do you know any musicians that would be prepared to play in the shop? Mm -hmm. uh, and I just want a bunch of musicians to come here and I just want to sing Christmas carols. Uh, we'll have the doors open and some nice music coming out and, yeah. and a bit of mulled wine and a bit of an atmosphere. Yeah. And she said yeah you know i'm part of this whatsapp group as as everybody is in hong kong yeah uh, she got together a, about eight people actually that okay. came with with any, everything from triangles to guitars to keyboards to vocals uh, and they all stood around here and we had wolfgang uh, who works here on a yeah. monday yeah. providing mulled wine yeah and they sang and we just all sang and it was such a joyous day right um we had john secchi as well here who is the author of tiger hunters of okay. tayo yeah yeah john uh, was leaving hong kong that year um yeah. a northerner a yorkshireman i think <laughs> uh, he, he took the guitar and he started singing uh, last christmas by george michael yeah brilliant and we've got the video of this actually you Fantastic. can see it on our on our site which is called uh, live at vibe hk right and it was just one of those spontaneous joyous occasions yeah. and young and old came in kids and uh, families and everything and yeah. we just had a damn good time a great time okay um i'm gonna try and do the same this saturday wonderful <laughs> wonderful look forward to that if we can yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. so as you look at um the shop as Terry owned it, and as you've taken it over, how, what, yep. what, what's the kind? Of, what, how have you moved it in a different direction? Okay, yeah. So uh, in Terry's days, Terry was 
Uh, very well read, I would say. Uh, loved antiquarian books. He would mm -hmm. ship antiquarian books here from the UK. Mm -hmm. The book, the, the shop was probably uh, maybe three quarters full of antiquarian books. Mm -hmm. And and it had a nice feel to it. It was one of those bookshops you go in and you straight away the smells and the, everything was, was really beautiful and overpowering. Yeah. Um, and and he did well. And when I looked at his books, he ran flat pretty much for mm -hmm. the time he was here, which was around 16 years, actually. Right. Good long time. A long time. And so yeah. I thought, no, I, I love music, so I'm going to introduce music. I thought I needed to become more mainstream. Mm -hmm. So and I wanted to appeal to the locals. I didn't want to be this kind of guaylo Western shop that yeah. stood out in the middle of my woe that didn't really fit in yeah i wanted to fit in yeah um not that terry didn't uh so i've now got a wall of chinese books we purposely display two or three rows of chinese books in our window we've gone over the years of me being here from probably only 15 percent of locals coming here mm. to now nearer 50 percent oh good so we've yep. we've really equalized that that thing mm. and some of them are locals that love their music and love mm. their um english books as, as as well as the chinese books yeah but but for me now i feel i've become more of a complete and rounded right. service oh nice one um and and if, if and you know and of course i have hong kongers that work for me and yeah and if any hong konger came to me and said look gary the one thing that we miss from your shop is you know something or other yeah i i would seriously take that um and run with that yeah so yeah and, and you know mirror has been probably the other standout yes. thing for us yes. uh, mirror coming to this shop the canto pop band the yeah. biggest pop band in asia i think at the moment yeah and that has brought a flood of locals in and yes. that's got the recognition amongst the hong kong community yes. up for, for us and yeah. we, we're well known now i think yeah. i feel in in certainly in kowloon side and new territories yeah uh, which is which was always my goal yeah that's great yeah oh, brilliant and so looking forward to the future where do you see vibe going over the next two three years yeah we've diversified since i've been here i took over a bookshop I, particularly, I, I quite quickly became a music shop, but then I found myself needing to take in extra things. We took on Made of Paper, who who have stationery and, and children's things. Yeah. We took on sunglasses and, and local businesses like Tong Fuka, um, Shirley Johnson. Mm. Uh, the cards we sell now and wrapping paper and stuff. Mm. And I think we need to continue to diversify and change with the times. Right. I think, yes, people love having a bookshop and music shop in, in, in Moiwo mm -hmm. and on Lantau Island, mm -hmm. but it's not enough to be a book and music shop. Um, you need to offer people perhaps the reason that would save them getting the boat over to Central to yeah. have to buy a card or a gift for somebody, yeah. something that they, you know, they couldn't get anywhere else. So for that reason, I think I will need to continually change with times, adapting. Okay. Yeah. Well, one thing that occurs to me is the the shop is a bit of a social hub as well. Yeah. Again, I mean that is not something that I ever came here and designed to do. However, it was my design that I had settees and a table in the shop. Yeah. So I kind of gave the means for it, and I made a cleared out. This shop was very full when Terry was here. There was yeah. just one settee and not very 
welcoming, easily space to be. Yeah. Um, so I did that, and then uh, a good, now a very good friend came out of the woodwork, and I got to know him, mm. and through him and his friends and people knowing me here in in Moiwo, I suppose, particularly. Yeah. Um, yes, we now have this sort of Saturday afternoon club, don't we? Yeah. Where people will drop in, they'll bring a bottle of something, sit here and we'll chew the fat yeah. and we'll play music and we'll, we'll have a good talk. And, yeah. and, and actually, I like that. And, and, and it's, it's people that we know and, we, you know, and that uh, we identify with, eclectic mix of people with all sorts of... Uh, backgrounds, yeah. and I think that works as well because you know yeah. we're not all ex policemen or ex RTHK or no. ex whatever. Yeah, we right. we all have these different things to to bring to the party. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, we have that going, and I love yeah. it. It looks as though we've covered a fair amount of uh, of ground there. How can people get in touch with you if they want to find you? Or okay, all right. So we've got a number of um, things. Facebook. Uh, we are vibe at vibe silvermine bay yep. on facebook all one word all one word vibe silvermine bay yeah um on youtube we have a channel called live at vibe hk mm -hmm. so live at vibe hk on there we publish all of these podcasts mm -hmm. and we publish all of the tiny desk gigs that we do all of the facebook live gigs we do yeah. so um, I'm a film editor so I edit those down and put them on there for forevermore sort of thing yeah. um, so that's live at Vibe HK on YouTube other than that uh, website vibehk.com okay. and on Instagram I think we're vibehk as yeah. well yep. Yeah. Yeah. so we're, we're all over social media and generally I do Vibe HK so if mm. you type Vibe HK something or other yeah. you should get us okay <laughs> great stuff okay well Gary well um, many thanks for being today's victim yeah <laughs> and uh, um, I'll allow you back onto this side of the microphone next time thank you very much Martin thank, thank you. you thanks bye bye cheers <laughs> you can listen to all our Vibrations podcasts published on Spotify Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts Podbean, Amazon Music, TuneIn and Alexa, Stitcher, Listen Notes, Player FM, SoundCloud and a few others. Or you can watch on our YouTube channel under Live at Vibe HK. Or follow the links from my website at vibehk.com. The opening and closing music is from my good mate in Tongfuk on Lantau Island, Pete Millwood. It's called Green Island Dub by Celestial and is on the Retrospect vinyl album, on sale at Vibe. Finally, a reminder that Vibe is open seven days a week, every day of the year, from 12 noon until approximately 6.30pm. That includes Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Day, Chinese New Year, da di da di dee 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 da Well, that's it for another week. Thanks for listening to the 36th Vibe book and music podcast called Vibrations. I'm Gary Brightman. You get my vibe? Can you imagine what this old island must have looked like to those Dutch sailors when they first saw it? Fresh green. Like a dream of a new world. They must have held their breath. Afraid it would disappear before they could touch it.